Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. And I have a comment today. And it is from Southern Florida. And it says, Hello, JBL. Thank you for your inspiring and educational program. We feel that it is imperative that everyone have an opportunity to obtain quality literature and to learn the valuable lesson it provides. We did notice that you have not provided your listeners a discussion about Abe Lincoln. We are currently reading a wonderful biography of Abe Lincoln titled Lincoln, the Unknown, written by Dale Carnegie. Absolutely fascinating book and probably something worth considering as material to be discussed on a future program. I believe Mr. Joe Flory referenced this book in a sermon last year. I certainly recommend it. Well, I think that's a great idea, and uh, our next series is actually going to be on Winston Churchill, and then I figure after that we'll probably get into Abraham Lincoln, because I would like to get into him as well. This uh, person goes on to say, we did recently purchase George Washington, the founding father by Paul Johnson, as we were inspired by your most recent program regarding this subject. We are looking forward to studying into the history of this great leader. One thing that stands out when we read about these courageous leaders is how God plays such a vital role in their lives as he continues to work out his purpose through them. Placing God in the center of these studies certainly enhances the excitement of learning critical lessons from this history as we strive to be those courageous leaders for God in the near future. So keep up the good work, and that is from South Florida. I appreciate that comment. And all of you other people out there that are enjoying JBL, um, get on the stick. Send us some comments. <laughs> we need you. We need you to encourage us. Well, with me in the studio today is my highly intelligent producer, Mr. Dan Arnfeld. Good afternoon, Dan. Hello. Glad to hear your voice. Also with me in the studio is one of my wonderful friends in literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. Hello. Welcome back into the studio, Mr. Turgeon. Thank you. Yeah, my wife, she's getting jealous because she wants to come back into the <laughs> studio. Actually, she doesn't. <laughs> but she will be coming back. <laughs> All right. So now for today's program, we're going to be discussing chapters 110 and 127 of Moby Dick. Both chapters have to do with Queequeg, his near-death experience, his requested coffin, and Ahab's great hatred for the coffin. <laughs> so we're kind of blending two chapters together. They're really small, and we can get through this, I'm pretty sure. Now, one of the things, people out there, this means we're drawing near to the end of our Moby Dick series, and at the most, we only have about two to three programs left to tape. We'll be sad to get over with it, but then we'll be looking forward to the new series on uh, Winston Churchill. All right, so Mr. Turgeon is here ready to go, and uh, I'm ready to go. I have so many papers here, I don't know where to start. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Chapter 110, 
and the subtle meaning of it. Now, let me just make, I'll make a comment and then you can take over. I, I really believe that Melville crafted this chapter as a foreshadowing of the death coming for the crew of the Pequod. And that's what I think this chapter is all about. And I don't know what you think. No, that's a great point. I think that's probably why Ishmael is writing about this. And it's, it is a really sort of disturbing chapter, but also really funny at the same time. I thought it was strange how Queequeg was able to just demand a coffin <laughs> because normally sailors, when they die on a ship, they just get wrapped up and thrown to the sharks. <laughs> and right. yet Queequeg demands a coffin. He says in Nantucket, they have these nice coffins. And so they had the man on board who immediately made him a coffin. No problem. He's, he, he got his way. Yeah. You know what I think? I think what Melville was doing here is because there was everyone on the ship supported him getting a coffin. And I think, I think he became one of the most likable members of the crew. I think everybody liked Queequeg. And I, th I think that's, that's where Melville is trying to get across you know, it doesn't matter to what race you are, everybody should love each other. And I really think that's the truth, you know, because he did. He just said, okay, <laughs> I think I'm dying, so I want a coffin. <laughs> and there is a part at the beginning of chapter 110 that talks about how when you rise in rank on a ship, you actually are working a lot harder. It doesn't seem like it's always that way in every job. Maybe you might delegate more authority or you might oversee projects, but you're not the one doing all the, the, the hard manual labor. But on the ship, someone like Queequeg, the harpooner, he is taking a whale down, but then he's dealing with the carcass and he's dragging it all over the ship after they've killed the whale. And, and so he's working really hard. And so if you see someone working hard like that all the time it's hard not to end up liking him a little bit right exactly i i, I think I, i'm glad you brought that up because it this is this is uh just a thought i got real quick i don't think anybody really likes ahab no <laughs> and and especially starbuck mm -hmm. because starbuck knows he's he's really not doing what he should be doing and we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a minute but the thing is he's supposed to be the head He's supposed to be the hardest worker. And what is he doing all day? <laughs> right. He's hunting for Moby Dick. And he just sort of <laughs> paces and he grumbles about stuff and yeah. yells at people. Yeah. But that's Ishmael does make sure to specify until you become the captain. Then it's like you're not working hard anymore. But all the way up to that position, the, the, the higher you rise, the harder you end up working. Yeah. So maybe it's just the fact that he was – on a, on board with Ahab that he had to specify and clarify. No, actually, the captain's not working that hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is funny. The thing that I think is interesting about this chapter is it's, it is about Queequeg, but Starbuck comes back on the scene. We don't hear a lot from Starbuck all the time, but here he comes back on. And we, we shouldn't be surprised that maybe I should say it this way. If you look at chapter 109, Starbuck is not necessarily right here in 110, but he goes to Ahab and he says, look, uh, what they do on the, on the whaling ships is to keep the casks tight. They have to flood water into the bottom of the ship so that the, um, caskets stay wet. So, but then they have to pump that water back out 
because you can't have the ship full of water. And so what, what happened is, uh, in, in the previous chapter, is Starbuck comes in and informs Ahab that while they're pumping water out of the ship, there's a lot of oil came out. Which means one of the barrels of oil down there is leaking. It's it's pouring oil right. in, into the ship. And so uh, we all know Ahab could care less about the oil. <laughs> so he wants Moby Dick. That's all you can think about. Anyway... It's really a pretty serious problem on on the ship. And, uh, of course, because Queequeg is so strong, he is selected to be one of the main people going down into the barrows of the ship. And then they're taking the casks out because they have to find out which one's leaking. And the thing is, they can't find it like right at the the shaft getting in. So it's got to be somewhere, maybe it could be an old cask that has been there for years. So they have to find it. And uh, I really think it's it's really kind of interesting that when we get to chapter 110, then they're doing all this. But I think one of the neatest things in here is is he's talking about sending people down to the cabin. This is uh, Ishmael. He's, he's uh, talking about this. It's so deep that they go. And so ancient and corroded and weedy, the aspects of the lowmost puncheons, and, and a puncheon is just a casket. So, so they're going to the lowest puncheon or the lowest casket. And you almost look next for some moldy cornerstone cask containing coins of Captain Noah. <laughs> <laughs> so Melville finds a way to, to bring the Bible into it. You know, he's talking about Noah and the ark. So this ship is so old, it's like as old as the Ark. <laughs> right, and they're uncovering warnings of Noah to the ancient pre-flood world <laughs> down there when they're looking for the, the, the oil leak. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really pretty good. Um, when you go back to one, uh, yeah, 109, is Ahab does not want to be disturbed, and he wants Starbuck to go away. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear anything about the oil. And Starbuck keeps talking to him, and he says, hey, you really need, you know, you need to be worried about this. And so what does, what does Ahab do? He gets his rifle out <laughs> and he threatens, he threatens to kill Starbuck. And then I think uh, he said, get out. I demand your exit. And then Starbuck says, Ahab, beware Ahab, beware thyself, old man. <laughs> right. So they, they basically publicly confront each other, Ahab and Starbuck. And uh, it's also Ahab earlier in the book has heard a prophecy from Fadala that he's probably going to die of hemp, which is material in a rope. So Ahab takes that to mean that he'll be hanged. So he thinks, I'm not going to die out here on the ship in the water. I'm going to die back on land. And obviously someone on land is going to be very upset with me to hang me. So he he clearly believes his fate is sealed. He doesn't care what he does to tick off the owners of the ship or to break his agreements with everybody or alienating the whole crew. He thinks, I'm going to be hanged on land anyway, so I don't care if this barrel of oil is leaking literal money basically this is right. this it's flooding money out of it because all the oil they lose they're going to lose profits as well right he doesn't care about that no no he doesn't care at all the thing that we want to now just focus on is Queequeg you know he's he's really strong but he comes he becomes seriously ill 
He's crawling around the bow of the ship, which is hot, it's humid, it's slimy. He's in his woolen drawers. <laughs> That's what they say. So he's, he's, he's in wool, you know. And uh, Ishmael says, Quick Quick looked like a green-spotted lizard at the bottom of a well. <laughs> and then he says, for all the heat, he caught this terrible chill. So he's really sick. So this is below the deck right. in, the, in the front of the ship, and it's not fresh air down there. They're, they're no. basically pulling up all the materials below the deck and putting them on the deck. Yeah. So it, it makes you wonder if maybe just breathing in all that foul, dead air, maybe yeah. that's how he got so sick. You have, to, you have to think that there's all kinds of germy things in there, <laughs> you know, it's, and then you're breathing it in. But I, I love how Melville writes Ishmael, and and he goes on to say, Quick-Quick wasted away in those few long, lingering days till there was little left of him than his tattooing in uh, his frame. So, so, so the big muscle guy has now lost a lot of weight, and he, he really looks sick. And uh, then it goes on to say his eyes grew fuller and fuller. And it, it, to me, it's really interesting where uh, Melville goes with all of this. And uh, you can see the artistry of Melville. But he goes on to say, and, and uh, his, he talks about his eyes are like circles in the water, which as they grow fainter, expand. So his eyes seemed rounding and rounding like the rings of eternity. Okay, so, so Melville's getting a little spiritual here. And you can learn a lot from looking people in the eyes. So here, Queequeg is dying and yet at the same time, it says on page 520 that his eyes are also a wondrous testimony to that immortal health in him, which could not die or be weakened. So there's still a lot of life in his eyes. There's depth in his eyes. He's still very present mentally, even though he's sick and can't move. He's, he's still thinking about some things. And then it's almost like Ishmael starts glorifying him as Queequeg approaches death Ishmael is basically exalting him like he's a king. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing. He, he talks there a little bit about Zoroaster. Yeah, Zoroaster was a prophet for Iran, and there's painting of him, of his face, and he's looking up to heaven, and it's it's like this glorious looking face. So that's what when Melville has seen this, and so he says, so this is what Quigley's face looked like. He's like. <laughs> looking into eternity right and and that kind of reminds you as well of earlier in the book where one of the whales dies and turns its face to the sun so like Queequeg is looking up at the at the great beyond he's looking up at the heavens maybe just like this dead whale did earlier because ahab ends up praising the dead whale for turning to the sun when it's dead yes yeah, the, the other thing is, I'm, I'm going to just read this little chat, this part of the chapter. It says, For whatever is truly wondrous and fearful in man never yet was put into words or books. And the drawing near death, which alike levels all, alike impresses all with at least revelation, which only an author from the dead could adequately tell. So that, let's say again, no dying Chaldee or Greek had higher and holier thoughts than those whose mysterious shade you saw creeping over the face of poor Queequeg. <laughs> so I've studied Hamlet so long, and it, to me, you wonder if Melville read Hamlet as well, because he was studying Shakespeare, and then that whole scene, to be or not to be, and he talks about 
that that he's he wants to commit suicide, but yet he's afraid to commit suicide because he doesn't know what's on the other side. You know, is like what happens when you die, and this is almost what Melville is saying here. It's like there, you have to have someone come back from the dead to tell us what it's like to be dead, and and that's what he's saying. That that I think Melville is wondering, okay, what is it? What is it like to be dead? <laughs> you know. Well, remember early in the book as well how Ishmael says that men who get on board whaling ships probably seek death but don't want to commit suicide. <laughs> so there's that similarity with Hamlet as well. And then also uh, where Starbuck contemplates shooting Ahab in his sleep but then decides not to. It's right. like how Hamlet hesitates. He has a chance to, to kill the his the, uncle the fraudulent king yeah. yeah his uncle who says he's his father right <laughs> and actually he took the throne away from him <laughs> you know he was next in line by the way mm. and that, that's just uh it comes out in the play he says you know he, he uh he says yeah you, you took my space anyway um i i think that's interesting that you know, melville is getting spiritual with all this and talking about death and uh yeah it, the, the bible does say it's appointed for for a man, everyone has to die once, uh, but you don't want to. You don't ever want to die twice, right? <laughs> if you yeah. die twice, you're in the lake of fire. It, it's interesting that uh, then Queequeg makes his demand that he has to have <laughs> a coffin. And that's on page five twenty one. Let's talk about that a little bit. I think that's it's hilarious. It really is funny. So basically, he's he's getting all these accouterments in into his coffin like an an oar the metal part of the harpoon a pitcher of water some biscuits around the edge <laughs> around the, the perimeter like of the coffin on the inside right <laughs> so he lines the inside edges of the coffin with biscuits and then he even gets inside to try it out and see if he finds it comfortable yeah and then someone hands him his little idol figurine Yojo. And, yeah Yojo, and he holds it across his chest he, he he lies there for a bit and then he says it's comfortable this will do mm-hmm. and then he orders he commands he demands that the crew takes him back out and puts him back on the hammock yeah. so he is uh as ishmael says some dying men are more tyrannical than anyone in the entire world because they're about to die. And so they're making their last request basically in a, in a pretty stern way. Yeah. And he's, he's demanding it. Uh, but it's interesting though, that the carpenter and the ship went right to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, he goes right to it. He comes up and they're measuring him. (laughs) But then, uh, as soon as I think the funniest part of that is is page five twenty one. the carpenter of the ship goes right to work. The crew of the ship never believed that Ishmael would really die. But now that they made a coffin, the, the sailor from Long Island says he'll have to die now. <laughs> because he has the coffin, now he's going to have to die. You know, and so then uh, we know that Pip comes to visit Queequeg. He's uh, sad for him. And uh, he said, but here, this was done. Pip, who had been slyly hovering near all by this while, drew near to him and where he lay, and with soft sobbings, took him by the hand, and the other holding his tambourine. So he's, he wants to sing a song for him that he's laying in his, his uh, I guess, his uh, hammock. <laughs> so anyway, it's a big, it's a big thing that, that Pip shows up. And if you go back over to page 523, we, we don't want to have, take time for all of it, but 
but he he gets his tambourine out and he says, "I found it, rig a dig dig. Now Queequeg die, and I'll beat you your dying march." So he's coming. <laughs> this is his funeral march song. <laughs> well, then Pip also says, "Queequeg, please say hello to Pip in the afterlife." So <laughs> Pip, who has gone insane, everyone thinks, is now telling Queequeg to say hello to the sane version of Pip. I yeah, guess yeah. in the next life, he says. Yes, I want I want to play the tambourine for you, but I would never play for Pip because Pip is just a coward. He jumped off a whaling boat. How could he dare do that? Yeah. So Pip's talking about himself as if he's not talking about himself, <laughs> as if there's two different Pips. Yeah, he's insane. He's, he's gone insane. <laughs> and then the funniest thing for everybody out there is Queequeg lives. <laughs> he doesn't die, and he uses his coffin as a sea chest. <laughs> he just puts his items in there. He, he's he's got his he's got his own big sea chest. Anyway, that's basically chapter one ten. Just and quickly about that: the fact that he didn't die, it was because he chose not to. So basically, <laughs> his attitude improved, and he said, "Well, actually, I have some things to do on land that I haven't done yet, and therefore, I just simply cannot die at this yeah. time." Yeah, I, so, so yeah. positive mental attitude, that is actually an important part of health. And you could, if you're negative enough, make your health worse to the point of death. Absolutely. And, and there's more and more, uh, uh, you know, awareness of that, that, that it's, it's the brain. If, if you have a positive mental attitude, you can overcome a lot of serious health issues. You know, I mean, we know people that have done that. So anyway, uh, maybe just uh, let's go, let's head forward to chapter 127 now. And again, I'm just trying to get these two together because it has to do with with the coffin. Maybe we could talk a little bit about, I don't know if you're prepared for 125. Uh, essentially, what I think he does with 125 is called the log and the line. And all these uh, welling ships had a log and a line. And, and they would toss the log into the water in order to see what their speed was. And then they could really see where they were, you know, on the map and all that. And the Pequod's log and line got really bad. And the reason is, I believe, is because Ahab wasn't paying attention because he's all he cares about is his maps and getting Moby Dick. I think it's interesting what happens in this chapter. Um, Ahab still insists they toss the log, and the Manx man says, no, it's going to rip. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be torn. Ahab ignores him, throws in the log. It's gone. Falls. So all these things are beginning. I mean, Melville is building us for the big finale. Things are breaking down. The Pequot is breaking down. One of their top harpooners is deathly ill and thinks he's going to die. They prepare a coffin for him. And uh, <laughs> well, didn't Ahab also uh, break some other devices that would show direction? So basically, Ahab is getting rid of everything that would point the way for this ship. And and so now, how does the ship find where it's supposed to go? It's all being directed by Ahab's will at this point. Yeah. That's some of the analysis I was reading. It's like, okay, there's no more logic. There's no more consistency or science to charting the course of this ship. It's just however Ahab whims and wills. Yeah. It's it's the worship of the will. We've been talking about that. you know. And it's just like that's the way these power-hungry people get. You have to, you have to do what I want. You know, chapter 126, just real quickly, as we get there, the crew <laughs> hears this wild and crazy scream. 
they all freak out and they don't know what it is. It's a whole squad of seals <laughs> in the water. They're thinking it's mermaids and everything else. But then the other thing that also happens is one of the guys all the way at the top falls off his position and he's down there screaming and they, they send a life boy to protect him. I guess they have life boys on the ship and guess what? It sinks. It's, it's all broken down too. Yeah. So Ahab clearly hasn't paid any attention to all the equipment on the ship to make sure it's in the right shape and no. it's ready to be used. He, it's, it's like he, that's why he drives Starbuck crazy, you know, because <laughs> he's not taking care of it. But the thing that, that happens, what do they do? They use Queequeg's <laughs> former coffin. As a boy. Yeah. <laughs> so no. I guess you just crawl into that and hop inside and it's supposed to float. Yeah, and, and it they throw it down. Yeah, yeah. Now that's going to come up at the end of the book too because uh, someone is saved in that boy, you know, and uh, we don't want to reveal it too fast, but people are going to figure it out. I bet some of our members out there have probably already read the whole book. <laughs> they probably could come on radio and tell us. <laughs> anyway, now we could get to chapter 127. And of course, it's called The Deck. There is this great discussion between the carpenter and Ahab. <laughs> And, and really, we only have like three minutes, so uh, I'll let you start with this. So, that, <laughs> but, but. so uh, basically, Ahab starts to he starts to ridicule the carpenter a little bit. He says at the bottom of page five seventy three, "Are you not an errant, all grasping, intermeddling, <laughs> monopolizing, heathenish old scamp to be one day making legs and the next day coffins to clap them in, and yet again life buoys out of those same coffins? Thou art as unprincipled as the gods, and as much of a jack of all trades." So he's saying, "You're just being opportunistic here. You're just taking any woodworking job or any sort of carpentry job that's available." And it could it could be supporting life, it could be supporting death on any given day, but you'll take any job. Yeah. It's just amazing what goes on then. If you keep going in five seventy four, um, you know, he, he takes it. I mean here's the carpenter takes it. He says, I that's because the lids there is a sounding board, and what in all things makes a sounding board is this, there's not beneath. And yet a coffin with a body in it rings pretty much the same. Carpenter, have you helped every beer and heard the coffin knock against the churchyard gate going in? He said, so in other words, I guess Ahab's been at funerals where they hit the church gate mm. and the bodies, the body rocks inside. He <laughs> says, faith, sir, I have. Faith? What's that? Why, faith, sir, is only a sort of exclamation like, that's all, sir. And he said, faith. So, so they have this discussion about faith. <laughs> And then it goes on. It, it really gets funny. The carpenter gives his summary of Ahab. He calls him an old yon man. And then Ahab gives his summary of the carpenter, and he calls him a woodpecker. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> he's, he's beating on, he's beating on the, the coffin to make it a boy. And he says he's just a woodpecker. And then um, he, and uh, then he leaves the area <laughs> so he doesn't have to hear the carpenter working away at the new life buoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. He hates that. He hates that. But then I think Ahab talks to himself then uh, at the bottom of page 574 to 575, and he's talking about the spiritual sense of the coffin, and he calls it the immortality preserver. Right. So what do you think of that? Well, yeah, because he's talking about, okay, this coffin, it used to be a coffin, now it's a life buoy, so 
you you used to put dead bodies in it. Now you're putting living bodies in it. Right. So maybe a coffin is a way to just sort of immortalize a human into the next life and, and just hold that body. Yeah. I, I'm trying to figure that, that out myself, yeah. but uh, it, it is a pretty interesting bit of depth there right. that Ahab's trying to think about. Yeah, and I think we, we have to blame it all on Melville. He's trying to figure all this stuff out, and he can't do it. One more funny thing about this chapter is how Ahab and Pip have become such close friends. So they're both sort of insane Same. in different ways. <laughs> Together. But he says, now then, Pip, we'll talk this over. I do suck most wondrous philosophies from the some unknown conduits from the unknown worlds must empty into these. So he's saying, Pip, the gods are speaking through you and inspiring me. Let's let's go talk some more about the coffin and this immortality preserver. This is crazy. It's crazy. Well, the big final thought about this chapter, it's really the foreshadowing of the end of the Pequod and the end of the novel. Hang in there out there. We know you're out there, and we'll still have a few more chapters to go through. Well, that's all the time I have for today's program. On our next program, we will stay on the path of our final chapters of Moby Dick and begin discussing chapters 128 and 130. Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com, even if we're finishing. It's a good book. You, you need it in your library. Now, you may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You also may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please, please, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time. Keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.